Welcome to Centerway. My name is Eric and I'm just so glad that we get to be together, even if it is digitally. Uh, we wanted to let you know what to expect today and kind of how to connect with us. If you've been with us for any length of time, uh, you know that we have someone come up and read scripture uh, right before the message is communicated. Uh, obviously with social distancing, we can't do that now. And so in a moment, Stephanie is gonna come and read scripture right from the comfort of her own home. Uh, followed by Claude communicating the message today from the comfort of his own home. Uh, after the message, we'd love to respond in worship. Uh, so if you head to Spotify, you can search for the Loud and Clear playlist that coincides with our new series. Uh, or we're going to be trying something new uh, directly after this. So at 1045 or so, we'll be live on Centerway's Instagram and Facebook platforms. And we invite you to come worship along with us as our team responds to the word in an acoustic set there. Uh, for families, there's a special kids message that you can watch by heading to our website, centerwaychurch.com. You'll be able to hear Pastor Karen share her heart there. Uh, and if you're interested in receiving emails or other communication from us, or if you're in need of anything, you can email us at connect at centerwaychurch.com. If you're watching us in the live streaming platform now, you can click on the communication card tab to provide us your information. Uh, you'll also see the next steps tab there if you wanna further your spiritual journey. You'll see a Give tab there uh, to provide tithe and offerings if you so choose. And then finally, a spot to access previous messages as well. Uh, on the live platform, you'll see a chat section so that you can chat with us. Uh, you can follow along in the scripture, with the scripture using the Bible tab there. And uh, you can even receive prayer using the prayer tab. Uh, man, it is an exciting time at Centerway, even though we find ourselves in a pretty unique season. Uh, like we always say, uh, we get to do this. And now more than ever, it seems like that is the truth. So now here's Stephanie uh, with our scripture for today. Good morning, everybody. I'm Stephanie Marsilio. I so wish I could see you all face to face, but I'm grateful that we have this opportunity to gather this morning. I'll be reading from Hebrews 12, 12 through 17. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Good morning, my name is Claude and uh, my wife Meredith and myself are the lead pastors at Centerway and I wanna welcome you this morning as we begin a new series in the book of Hebrews and it is called Loud and Clear. And uh, this morning's message in particular is entitled Peace. And uh, as I thought a little bit about what it was that I was going to share with you this morning, a story came to mind from my college years, uh, my undergrad Bible college years in particular. Uh, we had something called open dorm where we were allowed to go into other people's dorms and kind of check out uh, how they had things set up and we would get way better food than what we had at our apartment. And uh, obviously there were a lot of reasons to go. One time in particular, I was headed down the hallway and I was in a dorm that I wasn't typically in and I saw some people that I knew and uh, I said hi to them. This one girl in particular, I said hello to her and she responded very quickly and she said, uh, I said, how are you doing? And she said, like you even care, Claude. 
I was like, hmm, all right. Blessings to you too. As well, I do care, actually, I just asked. Have you ever felt like you've walked into a room and there's clearly something happening that you weren't prepared for or there's an energy already there that you've just kind of walked into the middle of and you kind of get in the wake of it? Well, that's kind of what happened, but it was clear that she had some frustration towards me specifically because when I responded and said, no, I, I, I asked because I actually care, how are you doing? She said, no, Claude, you never care. I was like, wow. And she said, in fact, I even have proof. I said, you have proof that I don't care? How is that possible? And she said, because you said it once before. And I was like, I said, I don't care about you. And she goes, yeah, actually, I have the exact wording you used. Why don't you come with me? And I was like, wow, this is creepy. And so uh, a couple of us got up, one of her roommates got up and went with us. And I thought, is she going to murder me? What exactly is happening? Where are we going? And so we went into her dorm room and she went over to her bed and next to her bed was a book that she referred to as her diary. And so she pulled this diary up and she starts looking through it and she goes, hang on a second, it's right here. And so she begins to record, uh, begins to read a recording of a specific day where I had an interaction with her and she said, and then Claude told me, I don't care, in fact, I'm going to go back to my apartment and write in my little book of things I don't care about this exact interaction so I know for sure I don't care. And so if you've ever heard me joke around, you may have heard me say those exact words. I don't care so much, I might even write it in a little book entitled Things I Don't Care About. So I knew that it was an accurate quote and I felt really unsettled in that moment for several reasons. One, I felt terrible that I said that in a way that she thought was serious and not a joke. Secondly, I thought, oh my gosh, she wrote that down in her diary. And thirdly, I thought, thank God there's other people in the room, otherwise she may murder me now. This is the way that ends. And so I, I literally just looked at her, I said, my gosh, I, I'm so sorry. Like I, I just responded. It's not that I, I didn't care. I, I was just kidding around. Clearly, I don't have a book that I record those things in. Like I, I was just joking around. And she's like, well, sometimes people take your jokes seriously. I was like, wow, okay. And so I said, well, I'm glad that you brought it up because it gives me the opportunity to apologize. So I am sincerely sorry and I desperately care. And so I'd love to know how you're doing, but I think this interaction probably reveals that you're having a rough day, am I right? <laughs> and uh, we started to talk a little bit and, um, and she laughed a little. And then as we got a little bit more of a normal interaction, I said, just for what it's worth, like, do you record every interaction in that book? Or is that just kind of like something that was super hurtful and you wrote it down? And she goes, no, like usually when something really hurtful happens, yeah, I, I write it down. I thought, wow. Uh, she goes, you don't do that? I was like, no, I do not do that. And so her roommate spoke up real quick and she goes, I don't write things down, but don't act like it's weird. Like I remember what people say. And I was like, okay, well, I mean, I guess I remember. And she's like, no, like you really remember when someone hurts you. And I like to think that I don't, but then she said, when was the last time somebody said something that really like legitimately hurt you? Like it hurt you, hurt your feelings. And it was weird because when she asked like that, I literally thought of the last time, quickly. And it's not because I, I know myself to be one that's easily hurt per se, it was just more obvious to me than I guess I really realized once she asked. 
And so then she said something kind of profound. And I think it leads in today. She looked at it. She said, she looked at me and she said, whether you write it down, remember it in your mind or only in your quietest moments, the fact is you remember when people hurt you or when they wrong you. And so this morning, the question I want to ask all of us is why do we keep a record of wrongs? Why do we keep a record of wrongs? The answer is fairly simple. I mean, it's the same reason that we record anything, really, because it matters to us. It matters. That's why we remember, whether we write it down, remember it, or easily remember it when someone calls us to remember it. But why? Like, why deep down inside, if it doesn't change the situation, if it doesn't change the circumstances, why is it that we actually remember those things? At the end of the day, we keep a record of wrongs because we want to justify ourselves. We want to defend ourselves. We want to be able to look back and, and say, you know what? My words, they made sense in that moment. The actions that I took, they mattered. Why? Because someone wronged me and I can tell you why. I can tell you how. We feel like we were or we are right. So because we're right, we got to explain who was wrong. We got to explain why we're right, why they were wrong. We want others to know about it. So really a record of wrongs is more about ourselves. Maybe it's even about self-protection, but it never really pays off, does it? You never feel better by remembering those things. They don't solve anything in and of themselves. It's a never-ending game. It's an exhausting game. In fact, to even try and remember all of the offenses we've experienced can be exhausting if we're honest. In fact, I can not even be able to begin to tell you how many times I've talked with people that have had friends and or family members that they haven't spoken to in literal years. Literally years they haven't spoken to that, that friend, that brother, that sister, that parent. Here's the thing, they can't remember why. I mean, they know there's an offense, but they don't really remember the details of the why. The only thing they can remember is that the other person was wrong. They're right, that they're hurt. You see, here's the truth. No one wins when we keep a record of wrongs. In fact, scripture tells us that God doesn't keep a record of wrongs. He doesn't keep a record of our wrongs if we repent and submit to him. The idea seems impossible. It seems impossible to us simply because in our own human nature, we're not willing to award that to others. In fact, it feels like an impossibility. When I say human nature, when I say uh, the idea of our own humanity, I'm not talking about Christian humanity. I'm talking about the reality of human nature as a whole. Because I realize that there's all different types of people that are watching this morning, that are listening, possibly, whether you're on the spectrum of, of a skeptic that logged in or is listening to try to disprove the existence of a God, all the way up to a, a committed Christ follower that's gathered their family around to, to hear or watch this message. And so I'm not talking about Christian nature. I'm talking about human nature. Mankind, humankind, it's a condition to keep a record of wrongs. 
And this morning's pericope, or this section of thought in the text, the author of Hebrews continues to address the struggle of our human nature, of our human condition. It begins with verse 12. It says, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Therefore, we've mentioned this in past series where when a text says, therefore, it's pointing back or it's referring to the previous pericope or section of thought. And so what we learned about the the section of scripture prior is that we are loved as legitimate children of God. So lift your drooping hands. Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. This may not seem too compelling to our, our modern ears, but the original readers would be familiar with this type of language because it would be profoundly present in Jewish literature of the time. Drooping hands would actually be a, a, a metaphor, a picture of someone that is indicated completely exhausted. They're discouraged. They're despaired. And so they have drooping hands. Weak knees continues that illustration a little farther and even symbolizes um, fear. We use that even in our society today. If you, if you have knees kind of knocking together, it symbolizes nervousness or, or a sense of fear. And so the, the drooping hands and the, the strengthening our weak knees, they're really starting to come together here. If we can get this to Christians now, because of who we are in Christ, therefore, because we're legitimate children of God, if we allow that to settle into our hearts and our minds, will actually be strengthened. It begins to to strengthen our drooping hands, if you will. It doesn't end there, though. First John states that love casts out fear. So knowing that we are loved by God actually strengthens our knees. Being fully known and fully loved casts fear away. Are you afraid? Because if you're afraid, you can't just be unafraid. Like you don't just, okay, I'm not scared anymore. So what is it that that transforms the heart? It's It's a knowledge that we're fully known and fully loved that casts out fear. Our ability to have strength to deal with the difficulty of the day is not mustered up from within. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to strengthen myself. I'm going to get a little more sleep. I'm going to be a little bit more prepared for the day today. I mean, that fails us time and time again. We just are more exhausted, more exasperated. As the day goes on, we can't muster it up. No, strength is an outflow of being fully known. And even though we're fully known, because No one really knows the deep recesses of our heart and mind. Even if you have a spouse or a sibling or a best friend that you share everything with, there's still a dark closet. There's still a level of depravity and brokenness that we kind of hide from everyone, that we protect from anyone. God knows that. He knows the brokenness. He knows the depths of the depravity and Even though we're fully known, he fully loves us. It's incredible. It's incredible. In fact, it's so incredible, it can be our source of strength. In fact, it can remove all the fear. The fact that we're loved as we are. It's something only found in God. But how do we understand the depths of God's love? 
when we know our own propensity to do wrong, even in the midst of being fully known and loved. Like, we let God down. And so is his love contingent upon our behavior? That's our default because sometimes our love, most times, our love is conditional. So what's our part? What do we do? Verse 13. Verse 13 says, And make straight paths for your feet. And make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Be healed. So we have to, the, the part that we play, the, the thing that we have to do is make straight paths. This is actually a rather power, uh, powerful uh, imagery. And if you don't understand the context or if you don't consider um, what it is that the author's talking about, you might miss it. It's an athletic imagery talking about what runners of the day would do. They would consider their path. And as they considered their path in a very literal way, they would go through and then clear the obstacles from that path. Rocks that would trip up, they would move aside. Different limbs and branches, they would clear all the obstacles so that they would be free of injury. They would ensure their path was straight as possible so that they didn't run off course. (laughs) Maybe you're starting to connect the dots here. Because listen, we have to consider the path of our life. That's our part. Our part isn't to try to, to muster up the strength or to try to dismiss the fear. God's love and an awareness of who he is will do that if only we would make a straight path. That we would actually allow the healing to take place within our life. Where are you headed? Where is your path headed this morning? Are you arranging your life to fill it with accountability and transparency so that you're not tripped up? Are you intentionally removing situations and circumstances from your path so that you don't fall off course? Are you living on purpose with intention? You know, it would be absolutely ridiculous to get on a road and say, I'm going. Well, where are you going? I don't know. But this road's going to bring me there. (laughs) People will be like, what are you talking about? Are you going north or are you going south? Listen, I'm on my way. Exactly where I want to go. And I think this road will bring me. It's absurd. But we see people living our lives that way all the time. In fact, maybe you are this morning. What path are you on? Because here's the deal, we're all on a path. Every single one of us. Are you on the path you want to be on this morning? Is it headed in a direction you want to go in? Is your path making you exhausted? Do you find yourself fearful? Like it or not, this season, the season of COVID-19, the season of quarantine, the fact that we have this thing in common, that the entire world is on pause in some way. Some of us working hours that are far more crazy than ever before, and others of us finding windows of time that we're not even sure what to do, but all of us finding commonality in the fact that this situation, these circumstances, disrupt our lives. This season of quarantine will reveal you. It's interesting to think about that we're literally being revealed by our typical being disrupted. You see, when you're kind of locked into your path, 
You just kind of head down going. But what, what this season provides is an opportunity to lift up our heads and to say, where is it that we're headed? What path are we on? As we consider this, the, the author kind of shifts now to a series of imperatives. And imperatives uh, means in the original Greek that they're commands. So the author moves to a series of commands now, literally telling us what to do. In verse 14, says this, strive in the command tense, in the imperative. Strive for peace with everyone, for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for peace and for the holiness. Strive, not achieve. Not achieve peace with everyone. But the thing that's interesting is that as, if we think just for a second and put on pause the achieving and just consider the everyone aspect of this word, of this verse, everyone does not mean your sphere of influence that agrees with you. <laughs> it doesn't mean those that you love, those that you care about, although that's important too. It means everyone. Literally everyone. Strive for peace with your enemy. Strive for peace with those that politically disagree with you. Strive for peace with those that keep a record of wrongs against you. The truth is others may choose to keep a record of wrong and you can't control them. But you can choose not to be victimized by them. So we strive. We strive for peace and holiness. We can't achieve holiness because, I'm sorry, we can't achieve peace and holiness because we don't control the other variables of, of people that might be keeping a record of wrongs, as I mentioned. But the striving for peace and holiness is what we're called to do. And here's the danger. The danger of this morning's text is this, that you would hear the word strive and that it would resonate all too well. <laughs> that you'd say, oh, I can do that. I get what that means. That means be a better person. I'm a bad person, so I get it. I need to be better. So I will strive for peace with everyone, and I will strive to be holy. I'll be a better person. I'm going to work harder. I'll muster it up. But that, of course, will never work. Because even if you do well in striving for peace, you'll be filled with pride, and you'll fall short in holiness. Or you'll fail, and you'll be crushed by your lack of ability to perform. No, that's, that's not what the author is saying here at all. In fact, if we look a little bit closer at the text, something profound kind of becomes revealed. It says to, to strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness. The. The holiness. The text actually personifies holiness. Consider the whole letter just for a second as we look at this verse a little closely, a little more closely. Earlier in the book of Hebrews, we learned that holiness is only available via Christ. He lived the sinless life that we can't. And he died the death that we deserve. So to pursue peace and holiness is actually to pursue the Prince of Peace. And the only one that is holy. The holiness. You see, what the author's saying is, we're to pursue Jesus. That in all things, we, we strive to pursue Jesus. And as we pursue him, we have to make clear the path. Keep no record of wrongs because he keeps no record of our wrongs. 
Remove every hindrance, everything that will trip you up. Focus on the path that the Lord has laid out. Verse 15 and 16 goes on and says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. Obtain grace, says in the beginning. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That sounds like it's our responsibility to ensure that everyone comes to faith in God. (laughs) That's not what it means. Obtain grace actually means creating an environment where the word of God is preached according to what the context and the meaning the word of God is. To, to proclaim the truth of the gospel and to lean into spiritual disciplines, to clarify what it is and how it is that people should be able to pursue God, to equip people to be exposed to the grace of God. So it's not saying take responsibility for them. It's saying create disciple-making environments. And it says, so that no root of bitterness springs up. Root of bitterness. Uh, Original readers of the book of Hebrews would have been very familiar with the Old Testament. And this is a quote out of Deuteronomy, which if you read, is referring uh, to one that worships other gods. So how does that fit? How does it fit to say uh, that if you actually lack uh, gospel-centered communication, if you, if you lack biblical preaching, if you lack spiritual disciplines, that people will actually develop a root of bitterness or will begin to worship other gods. It's interesting. It's, it's kind of pivoting. The, the author is saying something about the way that we function and the path of our lives in, in a unique way that is saying that living in a community of accountability will allow us to to have the deception be uprooted. That we literally need other people and a sense of accountability to realize that we're beginning to worship lesser things. Because here's the deal. Bitterness is not a decision. It's an outflow of letting a wrong fester. Right? We don't say, you know what? I'm going to be bitter now. No, you let the wrong continue in your heart and mind to the point where when you see that person, the wrong is right at the forefront and the bitterness comes out, the anger, the aggression, the fatigue. You see, it festers until we value and literally worship whatever we happen to desire. So in offense, when unmanaged, literally festers into a root of bitterness that leans us into a position where we begin to worship ourselves. We begin to say, I was wronged, and so therefore I will not extend grace and mercy. I will not forgive. I care more about myself. I care more about being right than I care about people. What we happen to desire in the moment. That's why it makes sense that when the scripture goes on, it says that many will become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral. You see, if you don't understand what's happening, you're confused by how a root of bitterness connects to spiritual immorality. Or I'm sorry, sexual immorality. Or unholy like Esau. Poor 
Esau, man, can you imagine all of time reading the word of God and being like, or unholy, like Bob? Yeah, Esau is remembered all throughout time as, as being unholy. So what does it mean? What is sexually immoral or unholy talking about? It's talking about being sensual. And we think in our society that sensual has something to do with sexuality. I mean it based on the definition of the word. Sensual meaning you give in to the desires of your flesh. Whether that means sexual immorality or it means being unholy like Esau. Giving in to his physical desires. You see, if you don't know the story of Esau, he was the firstborn and was given a birthright by God, a birthright as the oldest son. And one day he came in and saw his brother cooking a stew and he was really hungry. And so he said, give me some of that stew. And his brother looked at him and said, I'll give you some stew if you give me your birthright. And he was so consumed with the desires of his flesh, the hunger of his belly, that he gave up his birthright. He worshiped something other than God. He gave in to the desires of his flesh, a gift of God to his brother for a meal. Listen, let's connect all the dots here. Let's bring it all together for a second. If we aren't careful, we, in our exhaustion, in our fear, in our moments of self-justification or self-protection, we will give in to our momentary desires. We'll not consider the lasting implications. We will forget the path that we are on. We'll trip over and we will stumble over the things that we've allowed to remain in our path and it will have implications. In some cases, eternal ones. So I want to ask you this morning, are you dominated by your appetites? Your appetite for comfort? Is that your world? Is that the path that you choose? Today I'm going to make decisions to ensure that I am as comfortable as possible at all costs. Approval? Is that the, the thing that, that you just need to feed all the time? I'm valuable. I'm valuable. Look at me. Look at me. I'm valuable. Love me. You see, if you don't realize you're loved by God, you'll pursue approval for others, from others. And they'll never live up to what you're designed. You'll compromise yourself, pleasure. Is that your appetite? That in this, this season where it seems like there's so many things that are taken away from us in quarantine or whatever, that, that we're just kind of like, I deserve some form of pleasure. Is it hunger? Do you give in to, to just your craving for food? Is it justification? I don't know what the appetite might be. Maybe it's just being right. I just want to be right. All I know is they were wrong. So I'm justified. What's taking root? Evaluate for a moment. What's, what's really taking root in your life? What the Lord is saying is loud and clear. It's loud and clear. Make straight your path. Make straight your path. Don't you desire peace this morning? 
Verse 17 says this, For you know that afterward, speaking again of Esau, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Could be real easy to struggle with this, especially as far as we've gotten and as much as we've kind of laid our hearts and minds bare this morning, we might think, I knew it. It's too late. I'm like Esau and it's too late. No matter how much I cry, no matter how broken I am, there's nothing I can do. That's not true. One commentator says a careful reading of Esau's story reveals this. The words of the covenant were on his lips, but not on his heart. You see, what the author's saying here is that Esau regretted what he did. Even wept over it. But he never repented. You see, there's a difference. That's the distinction this morning. Do you regret the path that you're on? Because if, if you regret the path that you're on, and you try to muster up your own strength and try to change your own ways and declare that you'll never do this again or never do that again, that will work for a day or an hour or a week or a month or a year. But eventually you will return to the path because your best efforts always fall short. No, our best efforts always fall short. But the, this morning, if it's not about that at all, if it's instead about repentance, then it means I've realized the path that I'm on and I don't simply regret the decisions, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make straight my path. I'm going to clear it from obstacles. I'm going to create accountability. I'm going to not allow sin to begin to grow and feed it little by little. No, I'm going to allow transparency to rule my life. I'm going to turn away from the lesser thing. I'm going to turn towards Christ. I'm going to stop worshiping lesser things. We see this evident within scripture with uh, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. Jesus actually tells Peter that he's going to deny him. And Peter says, no, not me. <laughs> I'll never do that. I promise, right? We've never, we, that resonates with all of us, right? We've, we've never done that, right? God, I promise I'll never. And so literally, the story goes, Peter denies that he knows Jesus three separate times. And he weeps. He's broken when he realizes it. There's a moment of regret. But then, when Peter sees Jesus, he repents and Jesus forgives him immediately. No record of wrongs. It's done. You see, the path you choose, the path towards peace, that's your choice. That's what we get to decide. Making straight our path this morning. Because the truth is loud and clear. It's not too late for any of us to repent and make peace with the Lord. It's simply not. We can turn to the one that paid the price we could never pay. And we could receive the forgiveness that we so desperately need. And so as we consider 
this this morning and we consider what the application looks like in our life, I want to challenge you with this question. The question is this, who will I make peace with this week? That's what I want you to consider as we wrap up here shortly. And there's more I have to say, so don't check out quite yet. But as you consider the application this week, I want you to consider who will I make peace with this week? Because for some of you out there this morning, the one you have to make peace with is God. You've tried to be the leader and Lord of your own life. And no matter how hard you run and no matter how you try to seek approval from people and you try to justify your actions and your decisions, you always feel tired, like you're falling short. And this morning, you don't have to strive for lesser things anymore. You can strive for peace with everyone and the holiness, God himself. And it's as simple as this. You can pray the prayer in the quietness of wherever you might be watching this or listening this morning. You can simply say, Lord, I'm a sinner, but I know that you died for my sins. Would you forgive me? Come and be the Lord and leader of my life. It can be that easy this morning. You can pray that prayer and begin a relationship. If, if you did that I, and you're watching live, I encourage you to, to let us know that you made that decision so that we can equip you with any resources you may need to, to begin that relationship in a healthy way. For others of us this morning, you may say, I've already crossed that line of salvation. I'm in relationship with the Lord. For you this morning, maybe the one you have to make peace with is yourself. Maybe you've been keeping a record of wrongs against yourself. It's interesting how that can work, right? We can forgive everyone around us except ourselves. But the Lord says everyone, including ourselves. So this morning, maybe you have to say, Lord, will you help me to see myself as you see me? valuable as you declare me valuable. Maybe this morning there is, quite frankly and literally, someone in your life that you need to make peace with, someone that you've wronged or someone that has wronged you. And I'm not saying that you even have to let them know. Maybe you're in um, an abusive type environment with that person. I'm not saying expose yourself to further abuse at all. I'm saying you can choose to forgive them without ever speaking to them. You can right now in the quietness of wherever you gather, write it down or speak it out loud and say, Lord, they wronged me this way and I don't want to carry it. I don't want to be victimized by them anymore. I forgive them this morning. Would you set me free? Maybe you have to make peace with a person. Call them up. Say, hey, I don't, I don't even remember what it was. And quite frankly, maybe you were wrong, but for the sake of our relationship and because I love you, I'll just declare myself wrong. I don't really care anymore because I can't remember. Can we just move beyond this because I love you? Maybe for some of you this morning, you're sitting there and saying, listen, I've crossed the line of faith and, and I'm, I'm at peace with everyone in my life. Then maybe this morning, your application is to live on mission, to be a person of peace in others' lives to speak truth to them, to be a representation of Christ's love and mercy. Maybe it means sharing this link with, with someone that you know or a link of another gospel-centered Bible preaching communicator. This isn't about Centerway or me. This is about 
you doing what it is that the text requires of you because we believe the text requires something from every single one of us. So I don't know and I don't pretend to know what it is that the Lord's asking you to do this morning, but I know that there's something for each and every one of us. So as we consider that, I want to welcome you to respond in a specific and unique way this morning. If you're watching live, uh, I want to let you know that around 10.45 today, Sunday, March 29th, 2020, we want to welcome you to join us live in music as we have a response to, uh, I'm sorry, live in music response <laughs> as, uh, as we respond to the preaching of the word this morning. And so we're going to be live on Centerway Church's uh, Facebook and Instagram, both platforms. And uh, we want to encourage you to, to join um, kind of a, a stripped down version of our, of our team this morning that would just love to worship with you and respond to God's word. If you're not live with us this morning, you can go to Spotify, not Spotify, that's nothing, but Spotify is a thing. You can go to Spotify and search Centerway Church. And there you'll find our, um, our playlists and specifically our new series playlist called Loud and Clear, as you know. And uh, you can see the songs that we selected to respond and, uh, and sing along with them at your own uh, leisure. As, uh, as you consider whether or not to join us live and you consider what it is that the Lord might be speaking to your heart this morning, I just I want to close our time in prayer. If, uh, if you would, just bow your head with me and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're grateful. We're grateful that we live in a time and place where we can leverage technology to still have connection. That, um, that this season doesn't mean that we're severed from people. It simply means we have to redefine what connection looks like. And so, Lord, we, we lean into that. We lean into what it is that you're doing in and through our hearts and minds, and we simply declare ourselves available. God, we hear what you're speaking to us loud and clear, and we ask, Father, that you would um, be present, that you would reveal yourself in unique and profound ways, that the application would be revealed and that we would have the strength to take action because of who you say we are. Because we are legitimate children of the living God, we can be filled with strength and courage and joy. We're grateful, God, for who you are and that which you've done. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hope to see you live at 1045 if you're available. God bless you, and you won't want to miss uh, next week. It's going to be great as we go into Palm Sunday uh, on this live platform. Thank you.